I want to just say a massive thank you to every single one of you. I want to say a massive thank you for your generosity. Uh, I knew what the figure was before today and have been humbled by it and deeply grateful to you and to God. So firstly, thank you for your generosity. Secondly, thank you for your willingness to get involved. I think last Sunday when we just did anyone free, come around and deal stuff and help do stuff, was just phenomenal, just seeing the numbers of people around, the different ages. And I think sometimes we forget we are a family that's made up of lots of different ages and backgrounds. And it just is quite amazing to see that working itself out. I think it's been amazing coming on site during the week and seeing the average age of those who've been helping is around 65. And uh, they put me to shame. I can't stay up, uh, kind of keep up with them in terms of their workload. Uh, and I think it's just been amazing to see how individuals have pitched in, or even this last Friday, where we knew we needed to get this place clean so it looked less like a building site. And just seeing uh, some of the young people who were on inset day for Friday, giving up anything else and coming and help clean here. And it just, I just thought this is a phenomenal family to be part of. So secondly, thank you for sacrificing time. Thirdly, thank you for being willing to go on the adventure. We set out at the beginning of this year saying we knew we were going to move from Edgebaston Cricket Ground, where we've been based uh, for over 10 years, uh, knowing that we were moving on a date, 30th of April, but not knowing where we were going to move to. And we said that the gap between when we were moving from and where we were going to move to was going to be an adventure. And I think that it genuinely has been an adventure. And I wanted to thank you for your willingness to hang on in there as we've gone on through the adventure. But we've kind of not finished our adventure, but we've finished a chapter of our adventure. As today marks the time where we get to know we're home and we're moving in. And if you've ever kind of moved home as an individual, and my guess is most of us in this room have done that, you often find the lead up to the move becomes more stressful the closer you get. And I know for me personally, I've moved a number of different times. Probably uh, the two that most kind of are embedded in my mind are when we moved two times ago, where literally we moved on our first child's due date, Emily's due date, um, which, believe me, is not a time to move. Uh, and so you do get a lot of help from removal firms as they were genuinely fearful that Lucy was going to give birth at any point during our move. But I remember it just was, it was an added stress uh, to the moment of moving. So that was our first one. Our second one was um, the house we live in now. And the stress point there was that the people whose house we were moving into didn't seem to want to move out. And so even down to the very day we were moving in, we were kind of stood outside, lorry filled with all our stuff, whilst they were making cups of tea inside, leisurely doing what they were doing. And there was a stress point of thinking, are we ever going to get a lift there? But then there comes the moment of stress starts to break when suddenly you set foot in the home that you now belong to. And in that moment when you get into that home, that suddenly there's these two feelings that I think come. One is a deep sense of relief that you're finally at home. And the other is a sense of excitement of what's it going to look like. And if you like, in this moment today, I want us to look at those two things for us as a family together as we're moving in home here together. It's, I think this is a moment of saying, actually, there's a bit of relief. Hey, we're here, we're home. But I'm hoping a growing sense of, growing sense of excitement of what is it going to look like.
And so today, as we look at home moving in, I want us to look at, firstly, that we're welcome home, and secondly, we want to build a home that is welcoming. And so let's start off then in terms of welcome home. Before we look at the passage, and we will look at some different scriptures, today's talk's going to be a little bit different uh, to normal, uh, but I felt just with us landing here, it needed that sense of just coming together. But how I'm wired as an individual is I really like the pursuit after something, and then once I've kind of got it, I then immediately like, right, great, let's go for the next thing. And so even with us landing here, there's part of me that's always think, already thinking about next year. Uh, and I, I felt like actually that's, that's a kind of wrong part sometimes in me, because what it can cause me to do is lose sight of the joy that's meant to be felt in this moment now. And I felt it was important today that before we look forward to the kind of home we're going to build together here, it's important that we just pause in this moment to know that there's a sense of us to find joy and a welcome into this home. And I was struck and reminded of this verse in Psalm 46.10 where the psalmist writes this declaration from God himself, Father, Son, and Spirit, speaking over anyone who seeks to believe in him. Well, God says this, he says, he says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. See, this psalm is a psalm that's actually set within a scene of unbelievable uncertainty. And so if you were to read the whole of the psalm, it's all about things that might not be quite going the way we wanted them to. And the reality is this, that as a family, we've been living this year with a high degree of uncertainty. A high degree of uncertainty in respect to where are we going to base ourselves? What's it going to look like? We've been temporarily camped out at the MAC, which has been brilliant to be there, but also that growing sense of this doesn't quite feel like home. And so we live with a sense of uncertainty. But we're also still living with uncertainty. You see, even in this moment, I know that there's one person who would love to be here who can't be here, and that's Janie Rosier. And so Janie Rosier is, a, is the wife of Gus, who's part of the leadership team here, and Janie was diagnosed with um, cancer just over 18 months ago, and, and cancer's kind of taken a, another turn, and we find that the, there's this bumpy journey we have. And it's an incurable cancer. And so Janie's actually in hospital. She's been there uh, since the beginning of this last week. And I know that this morning, she texted me at 6 o'clock this morning to say she, was, she would have loved to have been here, but that she's praying for us. And I know in this moment, she's sitting in our bed thinking about us, thinking about what it's like to be here in this room. And what we've always said is that when we continue to move as a community, when someone's suffering, we don't just camp out at their hospital bed, but rather that we go and we bring them with us. And so today is a moment where we know we're still living with uncertainty. We're living with uncertainty in respect to Janie, but it isn't that we then go and just sell her around a hospital bed, but rather we take her with her. And this moment, we're saying that she's still with us in this room. In actual fact, Gus is videoing in this very moment, so she knows that we're doing it. And I wonder... I was meant to have my phone at this point. I took it uh, very kindly out of my pocket because I thought I'd better not ring. I wonder if Gus could just for a moment video us and just wave to Janie. Is that right? And then we'll move on. But let's just take a moment. 
Wave to Janie. Here's the deal though, so we live, we've lived with uncertainty, we're living with uncertainty, we're living with uncertainty in respect to Janie, we're living with uncertainty with different individuals within this room in terms of their health or in terms of their employment or um, their family situation or their finances. We know that we're still living with uncertainty, but it's into that context of having lived with uncertainty, having living with uncertainty, that God says, be still and know that I am God. That even within uncertainty, we have to take a moment to pause. And in the pause, to remember who God is, that God is in control. That's the desire that he wants to put through this psalm, that we live in a life of uncertainty. If you think your life isn't gonna, be, isn't gonna have moments of uncertainty, you've been sold something short of what the wonder of who Jesus is. Actually, life will have bumps in it. But what God says is, he's still in control. And this moment, as we move in here and get to hear a welcome home, we get to be reminded that in this moment, this building reminds us to be still and know that God is in control. Why? Because we're here. Because it reminds us, as we look at this, that this isn't down to some individual's wisdom of thinking, I know, we could do this. No, this was down to God providing for us as a family. That's what this is about. That whenever we come in here, we're to see it and say, God, you're God. You're in control. I remember because, yes, you provided for this. But it's only that God provided. It also reminds us that as we come in here, that God is with us. Whatever life is doing, God is with us. Now, in it, we could say, well, is it only because of the building? Well, no, because of the bit of scripture that Mike read out at the very beginning of the, the gathering, Romans 8. If God did not spare his son for us, how much more will he give everything to us? Adrian Hurst paraphrase. The, the, what's that saying? It's saying that actually the benchmark of God being for us, the benchmark of God being control is the fact that he gave his son to live, to die, and rise again for you and for me. But he then says, actually, that's not enough. I want to continue to give stuff to you. Things like a home for you as a family. So today when we come in here, it's a moment where we get to remember, hey, this is the God who's in control, even within uncertainty because he's the God who can provide. He's the God who's with us, but also he's the one who is gonna be exalted among the nations. See, God is the one to be celebrated. That as we come in here, because we know it's all for him, it's all because of him, it means that this place becomes a place that we say, God, we want you to be known here. We don't wanna come and say, hey, isn't this a nice space? It's a bit beautiful. Do we keep the pews, don't we? No, we're not going to keep them. Um, that it isn't, isn't that. It's that our deep desire is, God, as we're here, you've brought us here in order that we'd cause you to get to be known by people who don't yet know you. That's what next Sunday's all about, the carol service. We want to welcome people into our home. Why? Because we want them to discover the peace that we know, the wholeness we know in Jesus so this is to be a place that we come and we pause and say, God, you're in control.
God, we thank you for your welcome to this home that reminds us to be still and know that you are God. That's the first thing. Second thing is that it's then to be that moment of in celebrating the fact that this is our home, we then need to be those that understand this is a home that's for welcome. That we need to understand that it isn't just for us. It's that sense of saying, no, we want people to come in here and to understand and encounter who God is. What does that welcome look like? What does it mean to be a home that continuously welcomes? Well, to be honest, before I was born, someone decided to create a prop for me for this moment, a prop that they would take years over in order that it could be there for us to not just see for today, but for every day we ever come in here. And that's that window behind me. The best prop that I've ever used in any talk. (laughs) See, this window behind me, and I don't know whether you're into stained glass or not, and maybe you're thinking, oh no, this is what I was thinking we'd do. We'd find a place, we'd suddenly have some stained glass window, the next thing we know we'll be up there in the pulpit. It's the way, it's a slippery slope. No, we're never going there. (laughs) But this window actually is there to characterize the kind of community we're meant to be, the kind of family we're meant to be in the welcome we offer. Because what that window is depicting is Matthew chapter 25. And Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 to 40, says this. Then the king, that's Jesus, will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So just before we carry on, just this bit is a moment of Jesus at the very last day of coming to restore everything. Everything, sorry. Still trying, everything. Where he causes God's dwelling, heaven, to come and be part of earth. So the two are joined together as always been promised through when Jesus came to the earth and was resurrected. It was suddenly that declaration that God dwelling place was always gonna come and be on earth. And this is the moment where Jesus is bringing everything together. And says, this is the marker of those who've known me. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. First window. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. They only had four windows, so they had to skip a couple. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me, third window. I was ill, and you looked after me, fourth window. Again, not another window for this one. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You see, We could look at that and think, well, is that therefore saying that for us to be right with God, we've got to work hard? We've got to like prove it. I know, let's feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit people in prison, uh, ensure that we're there for the sick, and I kind of feel like duty bound, because if we do that stuff, then we're going to finally get to meet Jesus. 
Now, that's not what's being spoken of here. This isn't work for your salvation. It isn't work to be right with God. We know that because actually in verse 37, it says that those that Jesus says, you're mine, say, yeah, but we didn't even know we were, you were watching us do this. They weren't working for merit. This is an overflow of who they were. We also know it's true because of the series we're in, week on week at the moment, in Colossians, where we recognize that it's Jesus who changes everything full stop. That Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is, is enough for everyone, for the whole of the cosmos, to bring it in right relationship with who God is, to cause us to live in the goodness of who he is. Jesus is enough. So what's being spoken of here isn't that we've got to work hard to reveal with Jesus. No, this is a moment of saying, no, no, this is what it looks like when you know Jesus. You see, what this does, this window, is it reveals how we're to be characterized in a welcome because it's a welcome that every single one of us who've centered our lives on Jesus have actually received. See, before we centered our life on Jesus, we were those who were in need. See, the welcome we've received We were hungry and thirsty. We were those who were unsatisfied and desperate, knowing that whatever we looked for, whatever I looked for, it never quite fulfilled me. Now, I became a follower of Jesus age 14. And maybe some of you in this room are thinking, you were 14 at one point, particularly the guys up there. I know you're thinking it. Um, I was 14. Now, when I became a follower of Jesus age 14, you could say, hey, how unsatisfied and desperate were you? You hadn't really encountered much of life then. I tell you what, age 14, I was someone who, whatever I looked to, knew that it didn't give me a sense of peace. And I was continuously living, confessing stuff left, right, and center. Because I thought, if I confess enough stuff to everyone about my deepest, darkest thoughts, maybe in doing that, I'll get to know peace. And it lasts temporarily for a moment. I was desperate and unsatisfied and then found in Jesus everything that I'd wanted. Well, I was one who was hungry and thirsty. We were hungry and thirsty. We were strangers. We were those who were living with broken relationship with God. Father, Son, and Spirit, we could see who he was, but we couldn't do anything to get to him. We were naked. Those that are just full of guilt and shame. Of knowing that if people really knew my innermost thinkings, I'd never be able to show my face again. We were those that were sick, that through us living self-centered of saying, actually, this is how I want to live with me at the very center of who I am, that ultimately it just did us harm. It caused us to live under this centers of destruction and death. There were those that were imprisoned, powerless to change, that no one of us could like, make a way out and say, actually, I now can be free from these other things. Actually, as we come to know Jesus, through your life, death, and resurrection, you offer everything to me. You welcome me in through dealing with my state. So we discover that we were this, but we are given through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, rest from our desperation, relationship from being strangers. We're able to say that God isn't just God. God's my father. I approach one with the intimacy of the father of all fathers, knowing that he loves me no matter what, a forgiveness for my guilt and shame of of life eternal, 
And I want us to see that for a moment, that we can see and say, well, surely sickness equals healing. No, that's not enough. It's not enough to just know sickness and healing. No, it has to be life eternal. Because what Jesus offers just doesn't deal with the temporary things we have on this earth. It deals with the sentence, the destruction that we've done ourselves that causes us to live with death as a curse. And Jesus causes us to know a life that's eternal. We don't to fear death. And we get to know freedom. Where we thought there's no way out, Jesus comes and says, I give you now a life of freedom. A life that's governed by my eternal, endless love for you as an individual. For me as an individual. It's what we were. It's what we are. It's the welcome that you and I have received if we sent our life on Jesus. And maybe at this point, we never have centered our life on Jesus. Well, that's the welcome that's on offer. That when we look at that window, we don't look at it and think, well, that's pretty. No, we look at it and think, that's the welcome I'm being offered by Jesus. And what it cost him to give that sort of welcome was his life, his death, and his resurrection. But it also then causes us to then live out of what we've experienced. The welcome we've received is the welcome we then get to reveal. So the welcome we get to reveal is literal. It literally means that this is going to be a home where we feed the hungry. We clothe those that don't have clothes. We'll befriend those that are strangers. So the current situation is asylum seekers. They seem to be those that are coming in. Surely that's the biggest stranger we can have. So we'll befriend them. We'll visit the sick. We'll visit those in prison. We'll give ourselves to these things. That's the kind of hope we're, home we're going to build. But we've also got to look at it in terms of the culture. Because that's not enough. Because the reality is, we need to have a welcome that's on offer that causes everyone who steps foot in this place to understand that they are welcome. And sometimes it doesn't look as literal. It's more hidden, but it's still there. And we need to give the kind of welcome where we offer rest. Where we offer rest for people who step in and look like they've got everything. And yet within it, they know that however much stuff they accumulate, it isn't enough. It doesn't satisfy. We need to be offering rest for those that just feel desperate. Feel like actually, if they were to leave here, they'd probably think, this is it. It's done. I'm out of here. We need to offer them rest. And say, actually, no, it isn't done. You don't, know how, you don't have to check out. We need to be a community that offer love. Love to people who are not like us. See, to be honest, I think the kind of bunch of people we are, asylum seekers, I think we can befriend and love. So don't think of those. Think of the people you really don't like. Some of you are thinking, I do. no, there's no one I don't like. Oh, there is. I promise you, within every one of us, there is prejudice. Daily Mail reader, Guardian reader, conservative, labor, liberal, Someone who has too much money, someone who doesn't have enough money, someone with the color of their skin, someone who seems to have a certain type of dog. <laughs> it was that one, wasn't it? 
We all have a prejudice. And what it is, it's saying, actually, what we're going to do is we're going to welcome everyone. And we're going to love them. Even when they're totally different to us. Even when we think their life doesn't match up to who Jesus is. What we want them to know is love. Why? Because Jesus never waited for us to be looking like we should be welcomed. He welcomed us in a state that was at the exact opposite, that he should have had nothing to do with us. And he said, no, come on in. I show you love. So this home is a home where we're going to show love. Love to every single person that steps their foot across the, foot, the front, whatever that word I'm looking for is. The step, we'll call it. It is in that word. As well as those that don't feel like they can step in. We need to look out for those. There's going to be people who will just think, I can't go in. And those ones we have to stand with and say, you're so, so loved. Which brings us on. We're going to be a, a home that is characterized by acceptance. See, those people who think I can't go in are the people who feel ashamed. Feel ashamed about what they've done or what's been done to them. I was thinking, through to a story that changed my life forever. And that was a story told by one of the best storytellers on the planet, Tony Campolo. And Tony Campolo came into contact with a lady who had just found herself in the situation she was in because she'd ended up by herself with a child and had no money uh, to deal with life. And so the only thing she could do was to use what she had, which is her own body, to try and make money. And so she sought to do that. And then at one point, someone came and said, actually, rather than you, what about your child? And at that point, she thought, I'm not that desperate, but what do I do? And Tony Campolo came across this lady and said, look, why don't you come to the church? And she said this. She said, why would I want to go there? I feel bad enough already. And I always remember her name was Susan. And I thought, I want to give myself to building a home where Susan knows she's always welcome. I don't want ever anyone to think, I cannot go in there because I feel bad enough already and they'll just make me feel worse. Because the God I know is a God of grace, a God of unconditional acceptance and mercy. And I want people to know that actually they are so welcome here. And if they feel ashamed, well, come on in. Because we're going to show you acceptance in order that you can know the ultimate acceptance from a loving God. But we're also going to show acceptance not just to those that are filled with shame and guilt, but also to those that feel vulnerable. Who are the most vulnerable in our society at the moment? It's the two ends of the scale. It's the elderly and the youngest in the city. The elderly who are just left alone in their homes, and there are many around this area. And the youngest who are just left with a city council that's breaking point and can't care for them. And we need to give ourselves also to show acceptance to the vulnerable as actually you're welcome here. Part of the history of this building, I've been reading up on it, is that when they built this bit, they built that this bit later, but at the point they built this, they bought the two houses either side and they gave them over 
to helping people who are breathing through cot death and seeking to uh, nurture the elderly. And I just thought, you know what? That's our heritage. Why would we not do the same? We're a community that will show acceptance. And lastly, we're a community that will show a welcome through comfort. We'll show a comfort to those who are sick, both mentally and physically. We'll show comfort through standing with, through praying with, through visiting and understanding. We'll show comfort through those who feel imprisoned, imprisoned in addiction. And we'll show comfort to those that are addicted by saying you're welcome, by standing with, by believing that we can see addiction broken. We also see it, those who are imprisoned by anxiety. And in the day and age we live in, that increasingly people are imprisoned by anxiety. And we need to cause people to come and know that they can know comfort here. That the prison that they're living in isn't the one that they were made to live in. We get to reveal hope. So this is our home. It's a home where we're welcome but it's a home where we will seek to welcome because we've moved in. Two questions. Number one, have you received the welcome Jesus offers? That's a rubbish question, isn't it? Even open, open questions, isn't it? Where you can kind of debate it. That's not like yes or no. Oh, sometimes we need those, don't we? Sometimes my family put me on the spot with a yes or no answer. Why? Because they know I can fudge it. And sometimes we need to not fudge it anymore. We just have to say, have I received the welcome Jesus offers? That's either yes or no. And if it's no, it's then, do you want to receive it? Some people say, oh no, you can linger here. You can linger sitting on the fence. Sitting on the fence of indifference, of not sure. Here's the deal with fence sitting. It's very painful. It's all right for the first couple of seconds, but I tell you what, if you sit on a fence after a few minutes, it's very, very painful. We're not made to sit on fences. If it's that you say, no, I don't want it, respect. No one's going to push you over. If it is, though, today, you say, no, I want this welcome. It's here for you. And at the very end of this morning, I'd love for you to do a very brave thing and just come and speak to me. And I'd love to talk to you a bit more about how you can receive that welcome. Second question is, many of us have received that welcome. Will you help build a home that welcomes? Again, a yes or no. And in it, I'm not gonna ask for like, hands up, this isn't like an affirmation thing for me. is isn't like, did it land or not? No, this is a moment of you just saying in your heart, am I going to give myself to this? Every Sunday when I gather here, knowing as I look at that window, I realize, oh yeah, that's what we're about. That's the home that we're building to welcome everyone in. And I'm going to play my part. I know at least one person who's going to be doing it. That's me. I reckon though there's more of us. I reckon there's 82,000 pounds worth of more of us. I don't think we were ever into just putting money in a pot to say, isn't this a nice building? I think we're into doing this because we want to welcome many in. But where I want us to finish, and Andrew's 
going to come back up now, I hope. He's probably somewhere. Is actually that going back one step and just hearing that welcome home. That I think the most appropriate way to end this morning isn't with a response in terms of, yes, I'm in, but rather a response in terms of, God, you're good. Of us taking this moment and saying, we're going to be still through our singing, whatever uncertainty we're facing, and saying, God, you're God. You're in control. God, I thank you for every individual in this room. And God, I thank you that your desire for each and every one of us is to live lives that know your goodness. And I thank you, God, that you will never let us down. I thank you even when life isn't quite going how we think it should, that God, you still are good. It's who you are. And that God, even in those moments where it feels like life is harder than we thought, that God, you wanna come so close and allow us to know your goodness, your love, your mercy, and your comfort. I thank you, Father, when you describe yourself, you describe yourself as one who is the father of all comfort. It's who you are. Thank you, you describe yourself as the father of all light, of which there's no shadow always good and God we just come and we're those therefore that just look to you and so we want to live lives that are characterized by your goodness in order that we can offer that goodness to others Amen